profitable powerhouse properties with the AHI Group. I am Jonathan Cook, and with me, as always, I'm Brian Jenkins. Good afternoon, Excellent. everybody. Uh, good afternoon, good morning, whatever time you're listening to it, it doesn't matter. Um, it's afternoon, we, it's afternoon today, right now, time. absolutely. Uh, today, we have with us a special guest from Rent Path. This is Nishant Badness. How are you today, sir? Oh, gentlemen, thank you so much. I'm doing well. How is everyone doing today? We're doing great. It's exciting to have you on, especially since we've already kind of recorded this once and I messed <laughs> it all up. So we're re-recording with new information. New so it's better. More hey, up-to-date information. Hey, it's better. It's more hey, up-to-date. That was, that was 2019 information. That was 2019 information. 2019 That's information. Right. That's right. That's right. That's, That's right. Now this is a dated episode, Brian, in case you're curious <laughs> what you've done. We've now dated our podcast episode, but <laughs> but we have you back. We're excited to have you back. Um, you're with Rent Path. I'm going to let you explain what Rent Path is, where that works in the marketplace, and all of the affiliates that kind of run along with that. Give everyone a, a good little breakdown, and then we can start talking about real estate, investing, yeah. and homes, and the markets. <laughs> well, first, thanks Fun for stuff. having me. I appreciate it, gentlemen, as always. Uh, so Rent Path, so who are we? You know, we're, we're basically a 50-year-old company that started in the print business. Our, our kind of brand that many people are familiar with was, is, is Apartment Guide. And Apartment Guide, if you recall, before the internet age, was the books that were populated at local grocery stores and convenience stores where people picked up and searched for a rental property. Fast forward in the digital age and this print-to-digital migration, and we are now a 100% digital company. And within Rent Path, we have, like I mentioned, apartmentguide.com, uh, mm-hmm. which focuses on multifamily properties. We have rent.com, which is kind of a hybrid between multifamily and single family. And then we have rentals.com, which I'm the VP and GM of, which focuses primarily on single family rental homes. What I was going to kind of say in the introduction, it's like, you've probably been on a Rent Path site accidentally even if you weren't intentionally trying to be there if you're like oh what is that house i'm can't really i gotta find it. me a place you can't yeah. you're, you you're kind of you kind of cover all, all the pieces so if somebody's looking for a housing they've likely visited you a time or two even if not on purpose by accident yeah like a handful even, of times. And even you know 40 years ago when they're like yeah, sure at kroger or let me get one of these things oh, out of this little uh so, so <laughs> we, we share a history together and we i don't do. know if i've ever shared this with you but we actually uh so AHI, uh, which interesting enough, we got our start as an apartment hunters company. Okay, yeah. So it's Apartment Hunters Incorporated, and we published an apartment guide, and uh, wow. we we had the rights to it here locally in Birmingham yeah. up until 1996, and we sold that piece of the business off. But uh, yeah, we used to go around and place people <laughs> in the apartments, advertise in the magazine. We get paid the the finder's fee. Uh, so we're very familiar with the, with the print side of it, and obviously now with the uh, the website version of it, uh, just through our our marketing of our property. So yeah, we none of us print anymore, bro. No, nobody, no, I don't even think. Uh, no. Yeah, but no, I, nobody I prints. Searching for an apartment or a home with a book and yeah. a car. Yeah. So we have a story where I was uh, reading the Wall Street Journal today, but on my phone, Brian. So Nothing's <laughs> in print. We had a uh, we had a uh, a salesperson that. Uh, would go out and sell the the ads in the apartment guide. And she had a company pickup. She had all the boxes she just picked up from the printer. She had them in the back. She had an accident and the boxes went flying all over 280. 
And Sonia uh, was out there when, in her business suit this? with her stiletto heels on. This was in 1995. Uh, 280 was and, big uh, enough back then. That was probably was. a mess. So been, I'm dating myself. But, but anyway, oh she's gosh. out there in high heels, business suit, scooping up magazines off of 280 and trying to save everything she could, you know, before before the cops got there. Well, so. they were valuable back then. <laughs> you they needed, that was the only place to find right. an apartment or housing back in those days was to find it. So but the practice was pick them up and then, if you remember, take them take them around, drop them off at the communities, the gas stations and everything, and everybody would pick them, pick the books. I remember up they, like, were they would be in like those, uh, those, like those metal, like newspaper yeah. machines. Yeah. You put like court and open it. Ah, I got my apartment guy. That's right. Perfect. That's I, right. I remember those things. So thank goodness we have moved on from that. So, oh God, yeah. yeah. that was. Well, the, the thing that excites me about since we've moved on, what we get now, as opposed to just a print piece of information that, that we can market to people. Now we have it digitally and we can my wife and I do this all the time when we're looking at investment properties to purchase or my wife is a big fan of trying to find a new house for us to live in all the time regardless of how nice our house is you can always have a nicer house but she's it's always like oh let me share this with you I was on this website I'm, I'm going to share this to you via text or I'm going to email this copy to you that makes things so much easier that we can start doing that sort of thing just share it Share it on Facebook, share it, share it via text, email it to someone. Well, the fact that the information provided to us now through our searches is, it, it's almost automatic. I mean, yeah. it's, it's updated much more frequently. Um, it's, it's real-time information. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's probably a great segue into, you know, some of the information you're going to share with us today is, is what, what's going on, you know, whether locally or uh, across the nation and, and wherever you want to dive into that, I think we can probably kick off from there. Yeah, yeah. sometimes segues are hard, but in this case, it's real easy. It's real easy. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just three guys loving real estate and it's really <laughs> exciting to talk about. And so, you know, I thought I'd start just like sharing some facts on general supply in yeah. the marketplace, um, specific to rentals. Okay. Over the course of several years and, and particularly this past decade, we've seen some really dramatic changes in rental supply. And I thought I'd just kind of level set the listeners and just make sure everyone understands kind of where supply is today. So in the United States, Gorgeous. yeah, in the United States, there's about, you know, 120 households or 317 million people, right. Living in the United States and about a third of the entire United States rents, okay. um, which is a, a pretty sizable amount. So about 110 million people in the United States rent. And when I think about it as households, which is basically household units, growth over the past you know, 15 years has, has been steady every year. So back in you know, 2000, there was about 34 million rental households in the United States. And now that's jumped to 43 million. So over the course of you know, 20 years or so, that has been steadily growing every year. And um, you know, the, the, the demographics have have shifted, but you know, primarily a, the supply has grown because demand for home ownership has actually declined, um, and we're seeing a, a pretty massive shift in behavior um, among several different cohorts, but primarily kind of the younger cohort, where you know there's longer-term renters, there's lifelong renters now, and the whole American dream of owning a home has been um, less and less as you know the younger generation has been growing into adulthood. Frankly. Well, I've, I've read a lot of articles very recently, some, some uh, through our, our NARPM uh, connections have sent out some, some articles kind of relating to this, 
I think there was one um, that somebody was sharing through LinkedIn. And just, there's been multiple articles I've read about just the, the millennial generation, Generation Z, and are they buying, are they renting, and like why one versus the other? And I happen to very narrowly make it into the millennial generation. But uh, I mean, like, I, I kind of get how some of us, you know, have this rental mindset and some of us are, are buying. I'm, I'm on this weird cusp and I have kids. I, I have to own the home. That's yeah. part part but, of that. But there's know, a lot we, of us that don't. I have a lot of friends right. that are still my age. But, I mean, we, we met with a builder yesterday uh, that's building in multiple marketplaces. I think he's probably building in three metro markets currently. Well, he's still building in Atlanta. Yeah, Atlanta and Birmingham mm-hmm. and Huntsville. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he brought up in conversation, you know, it's gone are the days of the, you know, 23, 24 year old coming in to buy their first house. Yeah. He said, A, the inventory is not there. B, there's not a demand for it. So it's not being built. Mm-hmm. You know, we could get in and open the can. There is a rental demand for that product. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Um, but there's a supply shortage, which I know we're going to talk about sure. supply. Yeah. But, but, but that's, that's a reality. And one of the things, one of the articles that I had read recently and I was telling you about was, that the millennial average age of purchase is 34 to 35 years of age. Yeah. According to this article and whatever. I'm 30 survey they did. Right. Yeah. But just that push from out outside the 20s into the 30s. So there's a whole decade there, yeah. obviously, uh, to where there's additional rental opportunity. And the other thing that we're, you know, we hear all the time, we have a lot of friends in Australia. We talk about their model on professional property management versus the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I know you guys both have heard this stat. It, it floats around NARPM and I've heard it in IMN as well. The Israeli, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, Australian investors, their marketplace has flipped from the old adage of the U.S., which, was, which used to be um, about, I think it was 26 to 27% of homes were were rental versus the remainder being owners, really? occupants. And then so they're the, the opposite of that? They're 80% right. renters in Australia? Yeah, just wow. under 80% rental. But that number, the number in the U.S., back to your point, 34 million to 43 million households, that increase, there's been an increase in the number of rentals against the, the home ownership percentage. So Homeownership percentage is going down. Number of rentals is going up, and they're still not nearly that spread. Sure, no. but yeah. it's still, it's 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 going up, and it's you know, I wish we'd be able to track that particular number over the last ten years. So and, I, have, uh, I have some of that. So like, okay. I, I pulled some homeownership data um, over the past uh, since really 1970, right? And okay. You know, okay. In 1970s, by the way, that wasn't the peak. The peak was. Mm-hmm around 2002 when a lot of people were yeah. buying homes yeah. you know, perhaps not much that they can afford but given the housing situation we had around that time period but at its peak really we had 68 percent home ownership oh 68 percent of home and now they're anticipating through 2025 it's going to reach the lowest it's ever been since 1970 and it's going to be around 60 percent okay uh, home ownership and, wow. and I think largely because of several different reasons, right? And primarily just preference. You know, I think when, I, when we do renter surveys uh, of why people want to live and we do demographic information, you know, 50% of all renters are under age of 30. That number gr- drives up to 73% under the age of 44, right? So nearly three, three out of four people are under the age of 44 renting. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's... And, it, and it's pretty interesting that 
the real primary reasons why people rent are comes back to flexibility and affordability. Okay. Yeah, forty three percent of all um, survey respondents that we we um, conducted uh, indicated that they were renting because it was more affordable, more convenient, provided more flexibility, and allowed them to have access to better neighborhoods that they probably wouldn't be able to access if they were purchasing. Okay. Uh, wow. And and it's quite interesting how that 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 mindset is now moving towards that point of view, uh, but not surprising, frankly, to us. I think there's a lot of, it's still a bit of a hangover from the recession around, you know, trying to buy the home that with zero down payments and all that yeah. stuff. I think there's a hangover. Well, and I think there's, uh, you know, another thing that I heard a couple of years ago regarding millennial generation and their, their work habits as far as staying on the job yeah. and the, the term of which they do. So that, and that term was basically on average somewhere between 18 to 24 months so if you're cha- if you're a professional and you're changing occupations, but then your occupation has you in Atlanta one minute and Chicago the next, you know, back to your flexibility piece. I mean, that allows you to just lease, get out of your lease Absolutely. and move on. You don't have a home to worry about selling and you know, all that. So, And I, I was trying to explain this to one of our um, investors that, that we've had actually here a while that, 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 that that's what they were talking about. Like, I want to get into the flip space and, you know, I'm trying. I'm, I'm curious. Is is are things going more flip or things going more, uh, you know, rent? And should I be getting rid of all my rental homes? I'm like, no, please don't do that. Like he's like, I, should I be buying in these B class areas? Yes, yes. That, that's what we're seeing. Is like this is where we're moving to. This that's is kind of the new, kind of it's the new hot thing to do is buying in these B class markets. Yeah, you're not going to get the same cash on cash return as if you buy a fifty thousand dollar home that's renting at six hundred dollars a month. It's not that. But it's it's that consistent, good, high paying tenant that's going to be there. Treat the home really lower well. Lower maintenance cost. Lower maintenance yeah. cost, oh, and just yeah. get in and get out. And but they're going to they're going to treat it really well. You bring up a good point, and so I think generally speaking, there's no debate on rental properties being more in the marketplace. But then you start talking about the type of rental property, yeah. right? So right. you have single family <clears throat> rental homes. You have those like townhome condos, you know, mm. but then you have multifamily, those units that are five or more in a building. And you think about the demograph or the, the stats around the inventory type. Mm-hmm. So in the United States, there's about 15.1 million single family rental homes uh, out of all of all of all of rental homes in the United States, 15.1 are single family. That's about 35%. So a third of all rental households um, live in a single family rental. Okay. If you include kind of those duplex, triplex, quadplex buildings, which arguably are kind of single family, you know, they're, they're usually converted single families converted in a lot of cases. Family. Yeah. Exactly. That's another 18% of the total um, pool. So if you yeah. add 35 plus 18, now you're getting to 53% of all rental units are less than four units okay. um, in a building. So it's, and I think that's growing that, that, that particular inventory class, the single family rental class mm-hmm. is growing um, every year. Yeah, absolutely. What do we say? I mean, is, is that in, in speaking of demographics, we're talking about the demographics in this. Are, are they mostly uh, single? When we talk about a, a single family in a multifamily unit or, or just a single family in there, is that just making up one person or is that a, a small family yeah. with, with children or what, what does yeah. that look like? It's a good question. So the average single family rental home is occupied by 2.9 people, right? Okay. So it's, it's more than one person that kind of makes sense. 
Okay. Um, the demographics between someone that lives in a multifamily rental, so maybe like a one-bedroom apartment in a big complex, um, versus someone that lives in a standalone, maybe detached home, right? It, it's interesting. Um, so a large majority have kids that live in a yeah. single-family rental. Kind of makes sense. They need a space. They they care about the school districts. So on the on the flip side, about seventy percent of those that live in a multifamily rental have no kids. And, and, and kind of coincidentally, 79% of those that live in a multifamily property are unmarried. Okay. Oh, wow. And so it's, it's kind of the, I, I think about it as the stage of life that you're in. Mm-hmm. And most people that live in a multifamily property are largely in a, um, just graduated from college, still in the, you know, early professional career development, yeah. looking for, some of them live in a studio home, a studio sure. apartment, unmarried, no kids. And then as things progress and life, you know, takes uh, kind of develop. Life right? finds a way. Yeah, life finds a way to, for you to- Jurassic find, Park reference. Yeah, exactly. You know, life finds a way. You find a significant other, you get married, you have kids, and then all of the things about living in a studio apartment become less appealing. Yeah. <laughs> and- and things that live uh, like a yard and a school district and you know three bedrooms and all the things that are great about single-family rental homes start mm. becoming more attractive. Right. I'm curious. How, I don't know if you would have this, but I'm very curious uh, how many of the single person in like a multifamily home or I wonder how many of these people still have dogs, though, even though they don't have a family other than themselves and how many of those have dogs i'm curious if you have that information that blows my mind if you don't i get it because that seems insane to be able to find that information out um i don't have the specifics but i can tell you more people um are are likely to be married have children and or have pets in a single family home than in an alpha family but one of the biggest filters that many renters look among price, location, bed, is if the it's pets. Yeah. Right. Do, do oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it it always to me when when we're speaking with with homeowners that are just getting into um, the space of being a landlord, owning a property that's going to have a renter in it. One of the first like I, I don't I don't think I want any pets. We 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 shouldn't allow pets. Pets over uh, a pound is too big. I'm like, come on, guys. Like like. They'll have some house on some corner lot in a circle with a big fenced in back. It's like under a pound. It's not like Gary from SpongeBob. That's exactly what it is. It's a snail. You can have a snail. You can have a beta fish. <laughs> Nothing more than a beta fish, please. I only know that because <laughs> my kid's favorite show it's, growing up. Yeah. So. And so, I mean, it, it, it always astounds me how much of the market you're just saying, no, I don't want you to rent my house. When the, the moment that you say no pets, I, like, the, the amount of people that you just say, nah, I don't care about you. I'm looking for someone else. It, just, it shortens your amount of, of market viability so much that I, I, I have a, we use petscreening.com um, mm-hmm. for, to verify our pets and, and to make sure that they're going to be good pets. We charge properly for them. We don't allow uh, vicious breeds and stuff like that. But we still very heavily suggest to our owners to allow pets it just it makes more sense from a i need this property to have a tenant in here i want to start making money it's so funny too because you think about 
I, that's why I always, you know, I always push for property management companies to, you know, steer owners in the right way because they're the experts. But, you know, the large majority of these rental property owners only own one rental property. So 54% only own one. They really think about it as a passive income generating home. They are really don't consider themselves a business, right? And so they, they don't really understand the, the uniquenesses of, you know, pet policies, for example, and how allowing pets actually drastically increases your audience or the pool that you can market to. And a lot of them try to do it on their own and they, they get too emotional, right? About the property. Yeah. And, and that's where I think a property management company really plays a really good role in, you know, being the arbitrator to some degree or mediator between yeah. the emotional side of owning a property that you may have lived in before. And, you know, now you move to another new home and you're just renting it. Yeah. I that's a very, that's a very real thing. And I, you know, and I've, uh, I've got investment property, but we also, a couple of years ago, we sold this property that I'm about to mention, but um, my wife and I built one when we first got married. We lived in it for about three years and we moved to where we're currently living. But I rented that property out for 12 and a half years. And compared to all my other investment property, that particular property had an emotional attachment, you know, right. back to your point. And really, as a, as a property manager, I felt that was good for me to experience that because I truly understood the homeowner's point of view coming from an, a property they had owned, lived in potentially raised their kids in, experienced life in versus one that they had purchased for the for the purpose of investment. And uh, so there's a distinct difference between the two emotionally and just right. understanding what that is. And, and to your point, I think greater, you know, the flexibility piece of it, but also with social media and just connectivity of, of us as a society, it's even more important now that that flexibility be uh, be experienced by people that are applying to rent because it's like, you know, the first thing that pops into my mind, if you say no pets, it's there's some rigidity there. You know, right. that's a perception that the homeowner is a little rigid, uh, maybe a little bit too much in control for that particular applicant. So they're going to go elsewhere uh, based on that response, whether or not they have a pet. Because well, one of the things we do with PetScreening.com is we actually – Everyone funnels through that, whether you have a pet or not, because one of the things that's come up now, uh, and we're speaking to investors, it's a great piece of information. One of the things that comes up now is pet sitting, pet walking. Mm -hmm. We're doing that as a business now. There's apps that they can, you know, they can become part of, be a be a provider and just, you know, stay at home, no, stay in your pet. rental home and be walking dogs or pet sitting. And that's not one my dog. I don't have a dog. Yeah. yeah I, I just run a dog. dog no, it's not mine. Um, yeah. which we just went through one of those this week. But the thing they is, did. they have to they have to sign off. Hey, we understand we will not have a pet in the property whatsoever. You're agreeing to that. There's no pet sitting, no pet walking, no pet anything. And if we find an authorized pet, this is the fine for that. And uh, and then you're in violation of the terms of the lease. So so there's there's different capacities of which that that service can be used for. But that's you know that's a sign of the times. That wasn't. Five years yeah. ago, that wasn't even a thing. No. Well, and, and you're, you're absolutely correct about that. But when you were saying that it, it speaks to like a rigidity of a landlord or the, or the owner, to me, from when I hear somebody saying, you know, no pets, if, if I was renting the house, to me, that makes me makes it feel like it's not my house. 
it's kind of like what the, the adage that we've said since we were in Memphis. It's yeah, people here, stay here, here. Or, or live here. Hey, I don't get to live in a place that I can't have a pet. That's not my house. That's where I'm staying until I can find someplace better where I can maybe one go get a dog or something like that. That's not it's, a pet now. It's, yeah, it's not a pet. That's a family member. Yeah, so, exactly. So, right. I mean, it's it just you just cut all that out. You're giving yourself a different kind of classification of tenant than you really would like. You want your tenants to want to live in that home. Like that's that's their house, not your house that they're borrowing for the term of a lease. It's not what that is. You you want the tenants to live there. You right. want them to be happy. Experience um, life. Enjoy your home. I mean, it's it's going to lead to a higher percentage of those same applicants renewing a lease agreement with absolutely, you, and and cutting down on your turn cost and, and vacancy. So I know we talked a little bit about supply, and uh, so one of the things I wanted to address because we actually had met, I mentioned the builder before, but we had. We had met with that builder, and one of the things was, you know, that that the the young twenty-something-year-olds are not coming in asking for that first-time inventory. So I kind of like to kind of like to speak to something that's really developed within the SFR space, and that mm-hmm. is the build-to-rent mm-hmm. uh, model. So, and the premise of that is, if there's not existing inventory, that's quality inventory. Um, they're building a brand new construction product mm-hmm. and coming in and developing the whole neighborhood, reserving a phase of that neighborhood for rentals, for the sole purpose of rentals and then retail reselling uh, the other phase or phases. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's gaining traction across the country. We've seen it in some of our local marketplaces mm-hmm. and uh, have some clients doing it. And it seems to be uh, catching on quite well. Yeah. So I'd like to kind of dive into that piece. And really that piece seems to be, Combined with everything we've talked about, uh, you know, three out of four uh, people under the age of 44 are renters versus homeowners. Um, just that that hole in the marketplace that was caused by the downturn in 07, 08, when construction on that halted altogether. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing we've seen, the supply side, you know, if you look at, at uh, real estate stats across the nation, one of the things that I'd heard recently was, most metro areas are operating with a three-month supply or less. God, yes. Um, and typically, you know, we're, we're talking pre-construction stop, we were all operating roughly around a 6% surplus, a six-month surplus, excuse me. So obviously that shrunk down. There's a, there's a niche there with providing a product yep. that's really not a starter, per se, because I know a lot of the guys we're dealing with that are building new new construction, uh, build to rent, or somewhere between, I'll call it 180 and 250 on the price point of the homes. And then basically, you know, the same builder was telling us, hey, the people that are coming in to buy are not buying, they're not looking for the starter home. They're, they're looking for the move up. Great, yeah. The move up with some upgrades, Absolutely. some nice community amenities, yeah. back to your point. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it, it, it's a combination where they're not buying because they want the flexibility, but they are coming in to get the better amenities in these newer yeah. communities versus living in something that's 30 or 40 years old. That yeah, can afford, so. and, and that's a good point. And so it goes back to kind of, if you look back and one of the, one of the positives I would say um, coming out of the reception was that there was a lot of inventory houses that were kind of foreclosed upon, but mm-hmm. essentially they were bought up by institutional investors. So at the time, you know, Blackstone was the largest owner of single family homes in the United States, Blackstone being a private equity company based out of New York. And that eventually turned into invitation homes, right? 
Invitation Homes, as, as many of our listeners know, is the largest owner operator of single family homes. I think they mm-hmm. own around 80,000 homes. And, and they Good began gracious. to, yeah, and they started scaling and, they, and then other people started noticing, right? And what they were owning was just pre-built homes that, you know, were foreclosed upon. So that, that could be anywhere from a hundred year old home all the way to, you know, a two year old home, but it was a good healthy mix. And their average um, home price was around Mm $250,000. And, and, and as they started growing invitation homes, a lot of people started noticing. And then, you know, you started getting these other players in the space like progress residential and, you know, America's home for rent. And those guys are now starting to, rather than purchasing homes that are, you know, I wouldn't call dated, but, you know, 20-year-old, 30-year-old homes, they're saying, well, hey, like, I have fresh capital because there's a ton of new money and interested money into this space. Why not just do build-for-rent communities, which you mentioned, Brian? And I think um, a lot of uh, renters are liking it because they feel like they're moving into a brand-new home without the, the large down payment or capital investment is required in, in order to live in t- that type of home, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think about just the, the supply, right? So even with this institutional investment uh, in this marketplace, they still only own about two and a half to three percent of the entire supply. And, and that's, that's such a small amount. And I think supply is now being hard to find um, because there's still a lot of folks who are just accidental owner operators, right? Um, and they don't want to sell. Um, and so there, there's new ways to find supply. And one way is to build. Supply, well, they, right? they either don't. What we're seeing is they either don't want to sell or they want to sell, but they don't want to sell to investors. They want to sell retail. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, so yeah. because the retail market has recovered pretty nicely. Correct. So. Yep. Well, when, when we're talking about the, the new build to rent space and, and the fact that some of these larger investment companies uh, are able to, you know, kind of spread a bunch of new build to rent product out there. I'm curious if that is actually going to affect the, the non new rental space, if that's going to mean for instance, if you can buy, if you can rent in, let's just use the same just city, Oak City or some random city. You know, if you could, if you can rent a brand new property for, let's call it twelve hundred a month. It's a good random range to use. It's kind of mid, whatever. Or you can rent an older home for eleven fifty or twelve hundred a month as well. Like what, if, if that's what you were renting, and then they build a bunch of these new ones. Like what amenities are they having that like you now have to upgrade your older home? You're gonna have to well, these people are gonna nickel, have to right? start. So, yeah, I mean you're gonna have to shine up your nickel, guys. Yeah, you're automatically your drawn to the newer inventory because it's available where it previously wasn't. I think it's ultimately, you know, to your point, I think there's gonna be a, a a percentage of people that can pull off the build for rent space. Sure. And then there's gonna be everybody else. And basically once that build for rent supply is going. That's going to be the, the shiny nickel. I know. Everybody's going yeah, to be drawn to that. And then once that's going, it's going to come back to normal. Having yeah, a hard, so it's trying, going to be a hard, hard time to trying to figure out if I want to talk about what I read on the Wall Street Journal day <laughs> or dive into the fact that like I'm asked I want to ask the shot from a rent pathway of like if if we're trying to market these older homes, 
what's the most successful way to market this yeah. and compete with some of these new, new yeah, properties? You are going to have to compete. Yeah, you're going to have to compete somewhere or not. Is it just you just drop your price? Is it, I guess we all have to have yeah. granite countertops now? Like, what, what's the deal? Well, you know, like, well, how, do we, how do we do this? Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be a, um, <clears throat> I don't think it's going to be a, a position where if you owned or operated a quote unquote older home, you're going to have to do something differently quickly. I think there's still going to be a demand, an equal about a demand across different age types of okay. homes. And the reason I say that is because primarily people who look for a rental home, they use price and location as their number one and two always. And okay. so if, the, if they can afford it and it's in a location that they want to live in, that's going to really drive their decision-making. And if you recall, like, so a lot of these built to rent homes, they need to be in a sizable lot, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, you need to be kind of not in an area where you can, you know, a highly dense area is going to be hard to find big enough lots, right? To build 200 homes. You need to be a little bit farther from the city perhaps, or maybe in a um, industrial now residential area that's converting, you know? Mm -hmm. And so those locations are equally going to be to desirable to some people and undesirable to others, right? Yeah. And so I think if you own a really solid property that has, um, you know, the key a- amenities like laundry, like privacy, parking, pets, a yard, um, if their property is in those desirable attributes, regardless if it's 10 years old or 20 years old, I think you're going to get a healthy demand. Okay. Um, but you know, so it's not erasing that market. It's yeah. No, I don't it's, think I think it's complementary. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I think I, one one point worth mentioning. I think if you're trying to compete, and and we're looking at that particular B classification, if you will. We are. Uh, if you're trying to compete in that space, I, I don't think you can cheap out on maintenance, uh, even deferred right. maintenance, necessary yeah, maintenance and deferred maintenance. I think you have to stay on top of that to be competitive with the new product. Because yeah. you know, back to the point of original homeowner. Mm-hmm. If you walk into a house that you're looking at that's on the market, that's well-maintained and taken care of, we've talked about it before. It sets a level of expectation for your renter that's applying for the property, but it also speaks to the quality of the homeowner. It's mm-hmm. okay, the homeowner obviously spends some money on this property maintaining it. It's yes, nice, correct. clean, well-maintained property. Well, I know you and I both have walked into houses that, that are owned by some of our clients that are excellent clients that, that we love their home. And yeah, this home might be 30, 40 years old over in, you know, you know who I'm talking about here. We yeah. walk into some of his houses and we know like, oh, this is one of his clearly. Look how perfect. I mean, yeah, this is a 30 yeah. year old home, but it's perfect. Yeah, I mean, it's, everything in it's perfect. It's everything maintained. I just described. Yeah, it's exactly right. that. You can tell the difference between that and then homes in the same neighborhood that somebody new will call and say, hey, I want you to come and manage my home we go and look at it we're like oof, 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 right and the, the real life example of that would be you know instead of uh and i'll just say instead of painting the living room for instance say can we get by with painting one wall i know there's marks on these it's not that important they're just going to get stripped sure. up again but really it's about setting that expectation you know and i know there, there's a limitation on the funds you can spend and that sort of thing but i think once you start down that road it becomes easier the next time to shortcut shortcut something Absolutely. Um, you know, we, yeah, we know what we're talking about. I know, I know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> I, I provide, you know, the same advice by and large to folks who come to me for advice. And I say, treat the answer as if you're living in that home or even if yes. it's on the for sale side, right? Like yeah. if you're trying to sell your home to a new buyer, 
you wouldn't say I only want to paint one wall, right? right. No right. one's going to buy your home. Think about it the exact same way, just on the rental side, because these renters, when they're looking for their next home, that's the lens that they're looking at. Yeah. They're looking at it as if, hey, I know I can't afford to buy it, but I'm certainly going to live in it perhaps longer than I would, uh, would do in a multifamily side. You know, yep. the average tenure of a renter in a single family home is 36 months. So that's three years, right? Yep. And so they're thinking about, okay, can I live here for three years? And sure. if they see these shortcuts and they see, you know, the one wall painted and not everything else, it, it, it doesn't feel like a home to them. And they'll soon run away. Well, and, and also, I wish I could take that clip and walk around and, my, and carry my pocket. <laughs> yeah, somebody goes, do I need to paint this wall? Play. Play. Yes. Well, we'll be able Please to do, do that. that. Separate. I know. I'm just going to take this segment. Forward this. Um, but, you know, back to, the, back to the supply listen. side as well. So, you know, the, the flip side of that is we already, we know what the supply inventory is on the sales side, the retail resale side. Mm -hmm. But the the rental supply is ramping up and we have one community here in Birmingham to where anytime you look at it, there's 200 plus listings for rent <laughs> available. That's a highly competitive market space. And back to the point of painting one wall versus another owner that paints the entire room. Yeah. I mean, when you're comparing home to home, that's going to make a decision a little easier for the applicant. So, and you're not necessarily even always going to get your money difference out of it. When people, are, well, if I, if I paint all this, it's going to cost me this much. If I only paint this up, many walls, how, how many how many dollars extra do I get for painting the whole house? None. You just get it rented. That's part of being a landlord. Yeah, well, I, think, part of it. I think and another answer to that is the lifetime value of a renter, right? So if you right. can convince, because you know turnover costs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we up, you know right? we focused. We really focused 2019. We focused on our. Uh, lease renewal rate. And I was sharing and congratulating the guys earlier. Uh, Company-wide, we hit a, a new mark coming out of the end of the year at 77% lease renewal for the month across our company. And we had been previously uh, averaging about, on average, when we started focusing on it, we were at 63%. Right. So we have been increasing month over month and getting to that point. But a lot of that is maintenance related, whether it's taking care of the property, doing the necessary maintenance, what kind of timeline you're taking care of that in so that you're making sure that it's a reasonable timeline so that your, your resident makes sure they feel like they're being taken care of, their requests are being answered, you know, the communication piece of it, we're really focused on that as well. Uh, and then the other side of it's a deferred maintenance. So it's doing the stuff that's necessary to maintain the property, which is a value add for the homeowner, adding value to the property itself. Mm -hmm. You might always use a prime example of a deck, deck and windows. It's like caulking on windows. I, I mean, I had a brand new construction house and I, you know, I went back to a builder on it because two years after the fact, I'm like, the windows were caulked on the outside, brick hall, aluminum windows, the windows are caulked, the caulking shrinks up and just basically it, it's cracked around it. And it's like, look, this stuff's only two years old. And it's really comes down to it's a builder grade product. Yeah. It's not something that's guaranteed for five or 10 years. Like you can easily go to Home Depot or Lowe's and buy and put it on there yourself. But there needs to be some routine maintenance. Mm -hmm. And the thought process from my own personal space up to that point, I was like, hey, it's a brick home. Uh, the good thing is I don't have to paint it and the windows are aluminum. Sure. You know, I don't have the wood windows. So it's it's one of those things you have to think about scheduling maintenance and the deck would be another example if you hey i just waterproofed that deck when i moved out now it's been rented for five, five years, years yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's that's the uh, the mindset and it's it's kind of 
I think you made a point earlier about out of sight, out of mind. Right. Yeah, it's that mentality. And that's that's where we try to focus on educating our owners and then, you know, doing a good job with the periodics and sending that information out with pictures because uh, you have the report with the pictures to show, hey, this needs to be addressed. We need to go ahead and get this clean. Yeah, if you say something like, hey, the, the caulking around the windows need to be redone. It's going to cost this much. And right. they go, ah, yeah. but you show them that picture and it's, yeah. like, it's like, oh, yeah, we need to do that. We need to get on that. So yeah. let's get on it. But, uh, but anyways, I think you, I think, you know, to the point, I think you have to address those items to be competitive with the, the build for rent space, mm-hmm. but also to make your, your property more appealing, even in, you know, the, the marketplace I've described as 200 plus listings, that's a C marketplace yeah, and right. older homes, but it really comes down to how well they're maintained. You know, mm-hmm. back to your point, I think they need to feel safe. Uh, yeah. They need to have the amenities they're looking for. And there are ways to address that stuff. And, you know, I think that's changed. There are some, there's some industry related stuff, uh, which, you know, more money comes into the industry. I think it'll become more relevant. But smart well, we want to stop right there and, and jump into a thing real quick. We will, but let me, okay. let me, um, I think let me just finish. I'm not going to dive deep into it, but the okay. smart home technology might be, you know, a way to really differentiate your house from another home. Mm-hmm. You know, smart technology, thermostats, uh, cameras, just a variety of different things you can do with that, with either uh, like Alexis or Alexa or uh, Google. What is, uh, what is that? Google Dot, Google, Google Home, Google Home. Google Home. Yeah, Google Google Home. Home. So, uh, Pretty interesting. But well. a lot of that stuff, uh, you know, that's that's. I, I hear more about that in the major metro areas, and particularly in A B class properties. Mm-hmm. We actually have a few systems like that in some of our C class properties. Not many. Right. I mean, it's like a handful. But those properties, just I mean, this is just kind of from an aside standpoint. The ones that we've had that had those little extra. I mean, yeah, these are we're talking. These are under thousand dollar a month homes but when they hit the market that they were you know like it's in that area where you got 300 homes sometimes on the market at a time and but they had just those little bitty extra amenities and it, for all other intensive purposes the home was plenty comparable to everything else around it but hey this one has a this one has a a, a google home system in it let's this is we had one with um it wasn't Google Home. It was, it was I so guess it was safe. safe. Yes. Yeah. And it was just like, boop, boop. I mean, this one, it was on the market. A few hundred bucks. It's a, a big difference. It was on the market for like less than two weeks and it was gone. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was so fast just because people and everybody commented on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was excellent. So, I mean, that's what, that's kind of the things that like other parts that I want to talk with you about the shop was what are the things that renters are like, I can't live, live without this. Or like if, if I'm looking at rental homes, this is, one of the things that we definitely need to have. And one of the, in the first episode that we recorded that yeah. I accidentally messed up on, uh, we talked about laundry spaces. That laundry. was like, because yeah. we don't, at the moment, like we, we don't tell homeowners to provide a washing machine or, or a dryer. We're like, eh, you know, let them, let them bring their own. I mean, we definitely are like, yeah, refrigerator, oven, stove, microwave, yeah, provide those fixtures, but like, yeah, washing machine drives, everybody should have their own. But you were, yeah. the last time we recorded, you're like, no, 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 you can provide that. Dude. Yeah, laundry, laundry that is kind of surprised. Yeah. So when we think about the factors that influence rental housing choice, right? So what is, and, and this goes beyond just price and location. I yeah. kind of, you're getting below kind of in a little bit more in the weeds. Laundry was number one, it was over 70% of. The respondents said it was either extremely important or very important, and that was that was a surprise to us. In fact, we actually do see that more and more as 
what renters are filtering upon when they come to our website is, you know, in, in unit washer dryer or accessibility. And, and it, it was, it was kind of a surprise to me because um, we would have thought it was, you know, um, privacy or, you know, things like, um, you know, granite countertops or, you know, kind of the, yeah. the, the things that people the things think that about. you see on HGTV. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's the basic utility of having a laundry service. And then, and then in addition, particularly in the Southern States, but as you know, climate is changing, I think AC is really important. You know, that was, that was another big filter option that we see on our website um, um, that, you know, people don't want, if they're going to stay in a home for a long time, you know, central AC or, or certainly not no AC, but I think um, air conditioning is becoming more and more of a kind of the norm and expected. Um, and so that's kind of one of the things that we've been seeing on our websites is one of the top filtered uh, amenities. I think in our neck of the woods and in all of our markets, including Oklahoma City, I, we, we have that as a blanket. Like, yeah, you have to have AC. That's 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 a necessity for for us. Well, today in, in Alabama, Oklahoma, Oklahoma needs snow removal. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and just just at the moment, but in it's especially the the Alabama markets, the southern markets, anywhere in Georgia, Alabama, Florida. I can't. I mean, if you don't have an AC down here, you'll you'll melt. It gets over hundred degrees down here frequently. So if you don't have an AC, you're in, you're in trouble. I, I mean, and we we've dealt with clients from from other parts of the country that are like, well, it doesn't have an AC. Is that going to be an issue? I think we could put some window units in there. I'm like, yes, we need to have. Well, that's like one of, the, you know, the, one of the other services that we use. That you're familiar with the Second Nature, and uh, subscribe our properties to that filter uh, subscription service to where the filters are delivered to the door of the resident. Yeah, that's going to protect. Um, that's that. another nicety. I mean, it that's is. that's another benefit to the resident, but it's also a benefit to the owner. And particularly, you know, we've we've talked a lot about this in the past, but it really brought up the heat, humidity, the AC has to be running. Um, you know, that, those things add life to the lifespan of that equipment, mm-hmm. and uh, just the efficiency of it, which saves on the utility side as well. So, so it is. It's it's very important. Oh God, gotcha. I, I, I can't imagine living here without AC. It nope. Be, matter of fact, my, my, whole my parents my parents visited several years ago, and they. They came in the middle of August and they're like, how do you do this? It's like, well, you just go from your car to the building, from the building to your car. And uh, don't step outside. You, know, you, don't, you don't spend a lot of time outside during the hot. <laughs> we, I think we had a run of triple digits for like 17 days straight or something That's like right. that. So it was, it was tough. But uh, but yeah, it can be it can be challenging. And uh, any other uh, interesting amenities that uh, that we haven't touched? Yeah, on you know, we we talked about pets you know that was another big anything in the multi-family space like prefer floor preference or anything yeah for multi-family um, you know it's kind of interesting i think it depends on the the type of property um there's okay. class a there's a lot of class a properties now on the multi-family side that has sprung up just because there's a ton of capital in there mm-hmm. and you know rent prices have gone up three percent year over year for the past couple of years now and so a lot of renters, particularly the younger ones, are are expecting, you know, a you know package delivery and package acceptance is a big one, right? You know, obviously, okay, yeah. you know, given the That's times good. that we're living in, uh, Amazon and e-commerce, a lot of folks are are expecting either a dedicated room or package, like working with Amazon to have lockers, you know, on the Class A properties, um, you know, and then obviously a pool, depending on 
where you are, you know, especially in those hotter uh, cities, right? Um, you know, parking obviously is a big deal. Um, a lot of folks are commuting. And then um, laundry in unit, like we talked about, okay. right? On the multifamily side, there's some correlations between multifamily, single, um, single family, um, but the package one is very unique to multifamily. So I wonder if they've, I wonder if Amazon or anyone else has thought about the idea of, of safe space, safe package delivery space on a single family level. I don't even know how that would work. I don't either, but it would be interesting well, you know, to explore that. So option. you create a, a locker. You create a locker on your, on the exterior well, of your house. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because if you just ignore the rental aspect of it and just think of it as a house, you know, Amazon is doing, you know, with, with their new, um, ring technology so they bought a yeah. company called ring which is basically a doorbell with you know a, a video camera and they've integrated the amazon app now where you can um open the door for the amazon worker so there's a unique code wow. um and it, it gets down to like how much do you trust this individual and you know they would literally you would get a code you can open your garage door for example and leave the packages in the garage and then close the garage door if if you're in a neighborhood that might be more susceptible to package you know uh, theft, for example. Where, where is that not an issue? Yeah, I mean, I see this on the I see this on the internet constantly. There's videos of people using their rings to 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 record package thieves everywhere. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't seem like the a home classification makes any difference. So I was, I was yeah, I was with my daughter the other night. She's playing yeah. some game on online, and base I forget the name of it. I'll have to follow up with both of you afterwards. But the premise is. You know, it's a lifespan of a fictitious human. Nice. So you're you're born, and then you you go through some things year by year. Based on your selections, it projects a path for this person. Hilarious. And so the person that she had, the, the choices she had made, she was trying to figure out where it would go, and so it was leading toward a life of crime. And one of the crimes early on was porch pirate. I know, it's, I know which child of yours this is. Yes. <laughs> so we, we it makes perfect that. sense. It, it led to uh, grand larceny and <laughs> oh, man. Uh, all kinds of... Anyway, I guess anyways, we don't need to tell which child that is. No, her person ended internet. up with a 31-year jail. So I'm like, no, okay, that's, that's pretty interesting. But uh, porch piracy, <laughs> piracy can lead to bad things. Just keep but you know, it's, it's interesting because there's a correlation. We talked about it earlier about um, technology and how it's been improving our efficiency to manage rental homes. Yeah. And when you think about self, self tours, right? We have mm -hmm. a lot of um, self tours now are, are occurring in the, in our industry whereby you're removing the leasing agent and you're trusting the potential tenant or lead to get a code. And, you know, you do some identity verification and, but you're entrusting them to go into the home and take a tour of themselves. And, you know, think about that and think about package, um, allowing an Amazon worker to enter your home, it, it's kind of somewhat correlated a little bit, right? Where Absolutely. I think there's a lot of um, uh, embedded trust and um, acceptance of whereby 20 years ago, I think this concept of allowing someone to enter a home that you don't know is- well, 20, uh, 20 years ago, you didn't have to unlock the door. It was already unlocked. So yeah. that's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you didn't uh, lock it in the first place. That's like, right. hey, go on in. Yeah. <laughs> My sign's out front. You'll tell which one it is. It, it, <laughs> But it's it it is interesting because we you know we do uh, self showing as well and uh, you know some of the, the the advantages of that just readily available to you is you don't have a, a scheduling restriction so basically if somebody wants to go out and look at a home. 
mean, like our boxes are set up for certain hours. So if you go during those certain hours, seven days a week on holidays, mm-hmm. whatever, you can view the home. So you right. just said you do have to have a pre-qualification piece. So it's a little bit more strenuous than identification check. Uh, they have to answer some pre-qualification questions, but for the most part, it's very easy. Uh, it's obviously it's want to keep the the barriers. Uh, relatively low to entice more people to look at the property, which back to the point we all discussed a little bit ago is that's why it's important to have your property in good condition. Yeah, absolutely. So, right. But you, you know, they, people are really good about doing the showing, giving you the feedback uh, where they may feel like they have the, the, the greater freedom and liberty to do that yeah. versus talking to you face to face or feeling like, Hey, I'm, well, comfortable I don't want to tell you that I don't like the yeah. color. They're going to be mad at me if I tell you this. Um, but people, you know, giving you giving you their input online, it's it's so much easier, and we get a lot more input. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. You know, we've been doing it long enough. We need to go back and and actually create a metrics on the difference in feedback actually agent showing versus self showing. Well, that's we're, we're we were talking about that before we recorded this podcast with uh, Joe about setting a podcast up specifically about that yeah, um, j- just to kind of get those numbers here. And, and I'm sure I'm, we're going to need Joe to actually sit down and crunch all that and get it all together. But that's a, that's a super useful piece of information to have just to be able to sit here and go, well, this is part of it. I mean, this, this is how this helps. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, but it's just technology. You know, the funny thing is you talk about institutional investors, but that's where all that came from. Is that right. money followed the institutional investors? Institutional investors saw the value of it. And it's it's grown on large scale. I mean, within our industry, uh, there's three, if not four, providers for that service. And uh, were you, were you specifically setting me up with an institutional investor there to, to share what I read earlier? Or was that just was I'm, it? I'm, I'm trying Golly, to tee it up there. So well Let's done. Ta- toss you a, a big fat okay. softball. Thank you. Today, we are busier than ever and struggling to do more while adding value. Global Strategic understands the value of your time. By leveraging custom business process solutions, you can focus on your core competency and save time and money. If you've been dealing with a lost productivity due to sudden staff departure, high rates of turnover, or staff that don't share your vision, they can help. With offices in the U.S. and the Philippines, they provide dual-shore 24-7 coverage for their valued partners. If you need to save time and money, but you're not sure how, just give them a call at 855-731-4966 or visit globalstrategic.com for more information. Now, okay, Nishan, I don't know if you've heard about this, but an article that I read maybe 30 minutes before we got on our call mm-hmm. was on the Wall Street Journal. They were speaking of um, different larger institutionalized investors, REITs, big REITs, mm-hmm. their ability to receive loans through potentially Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, those types of institutions. That's just around the corner that is that is getting to the point where that's about to happen which is going to blow up the home buying market if you own a rental property and you don't want it anymore it's about to get bought that i mean you're looking for one you need to buy one now even the initial purchase side of that 
uh, but you're you're going to have a if that opens up, there'll be a, a huge mass of uh, refi to go through. Absolutely, right. free up their other capital to further deploy it, buy more property. And and when they have more capital, one of the good things they're going to be able to do is utilize that capital to make these properties more presentable, more more desirable for these more affluent renters to to afford them. They're they're, they're going to be something. They're not just going to be buying. You know, the, the homes that are just, ah, yeah, I can purchase that and throw somebody in there as long as they'll pay minimal. I get my return back. Yeah, whatever that is, that's fine. I'm not worried about it. They'll be able to actually go and chase after these new, uh, you know, much more stable, higher-end renters that are like, I want something nice. But, I mean, it's kind of what we were talking about earlier. So these millennials are like, I don't want to buy anything. I just want to rent something. <clears throat> I want to rent something nice. Hey, guess what? The A and B class market is about to have tons of growth in it in my opinion because we've got the we've already got the renters ready yeah the institution they don't guys, have houses right i mean they, they see the value of you know and i, I want to go out and say that the increased acknowledgement of the a class and b class property asset versus the c class in the sense that there's so much less maintenance yeah and the headaches mm-hmm. associated with that the cost associated with that if these guys are focusing on that market space, and I don't want to, I don't want to downplay the C class market. It's where I cut my, that's no. where I cut my teeth, where I learned well, how to do. There's a lot this. of opportunity. Great there's a ton of opportunity. Model. The other side of it is, you know, we're seeing, you know, we talked about kind of the availability, uh, you know, the surplus, if you will, that we're we are still seeing portfolios being sold, um, yeah, to small funds, REITs, mm-hmm. individual owners. Uh, that are purchasing those. And obviously you can find the, the one-off individual purchases. Um, but there's there's a lot of activity. There's also a lot of activity going on with um, buyers that are building portfolios to sell to larger, whether it be That's institutional correct. or whatnot. Um, so there's a lot of that. That's been going on for several years now. And so mm-hmm. several people selling off to one another. So, um, but again, you know, not to create any sense of panic or anything, because we talked about it was, Two and a half to three percent of the overall rental market inventory. Yeah. So, but I yeah. do expect I, I do expect if we came back and talked about the same thing next year, I think oh, there's going to be an increase, especially if this, this happens. Well, and that, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm where I'm trying to get to is is now before that happens would be a pretty smart time to go ahead and start working on building yourself a small portfolio because if if you have one that that good then you're, you're kind of ahead of the game because i mean especially if somebody's going to start buying some of these these other markets and, and building to rent they're either going to start doing that or buying up some of the stuff that's available if you make it available you can likely sell it nowadays right whether it's to a larger investment company a larger re, or even a small company that, that is doing something like that if you're looking for a quick turnaround real estate's not always the best idea but in some ways, well, even on a local scale, I mean, if you're a local investor and you've got some homes in your portfolio, you know, one of the options, because I was talking about this with somebody this morning to where they had contacted the lender say, hey, you know, I've understood before you actually sent me that article, mm-hmm. I already heard the yeah. information and uh, it was Ralph and Ralph's like, hey, is there a way for us to kind of uh, refinance local investor that's got some properties in their own personal portfolio? Ralph here within AHI actually brought this up before you sent the article to mm-hmm. me. He was aware of what was going on. So his question was, hey, can I refinance some of the existing stuff that I've got with local lenders? Oh, that's smart. 
and roll it up to this and then free up my available credit with the local lenders and buy even more property to add to the portfolio. So the answer to both those questions was yes. And the rate yeah. was pretty decent. So, so anyway, so we're there's just a lot of different things you can do with it. So it affects initial purchase, refi, you know, those those cash out mm-hmm. options, even if you wanted to look at cash out. One of the things that the guy was uh, talking to us about was that the cash out, you could do some of that, pull some equity out, do something different with it, whether it's handle some of your rehab costs or yeah. something else you wanted to do. Um, but the percentage points was uh, was a little bit different. So just just food for thought. I thought I'd throw that out because I think it's relevant to, to our listeners. Well, I think the idea is yeah. if you have more capital, you can get in front of these renters. And, and the more the better offering you can show, the better return you're, you're going to be able to get nowadays. And it's not just a short-term cash-on-cash return anymore. It's not. I'm not just looking at, oh, I cash flowed. $55. Well, the other thing was, he, he brought up the point, hey, in this, port, this one portfolio that I own, if I refi at that rate, it's going to send me a, between four dollars and $5,000 a month. That's insane. So, yeah. Being able to do that now. Huge. Yeah, op- operates for, well, it gives you the opportunity to get better and better offer, uh, right. you know, offers on, on your properties. You have better better properties, better offerings to show these renters. So, I mean, I, it's it's very exciting to me what, what's coming down the pipe and what's going to be... Um, the, the makeup of the rental market, uh, you know, in, in a year from now or two years from now or five years from now, that's, that's going to be very interesting to see in the direction that's going. And I, I feel like I, I just want like an every six month, let's call Nishant and get another episode. Just, what's <laughs> yeah. the market look like? Well, you know, what's happening? On, the, on that same topic, too, we talk about kind of like all this new capital that's coming into the in the new construction phase, right, whether it's yeah. rental or, or for sale. I think it's worth noting to the audience members kind of where these new construction um, properties are actually being built geography-wise in the United States. So, you know, I I looked at um, construction kind of permitting over the past couple decades, right? And and it's interesting on kind of the mix of where new permits are being issued across the United States. So back in, you know, 1960, and this is a really stark contrast to today, but in 1960, you know, 20% of new construction permits were in the Northeast, 20% were in California, and, you know, 17% were in Midwest. So I would say, you know, a large majority were in those those three geographies. If I look today and, you know, over the past several years now, that has drastically shifted, and it's really shifted in the Southeast. So Southeast, 23% of all new permits are uh, for constructions are in the Southeast versus 14% in 1960, right? And I think there's a tremendous amount of new household growth, primarily in the South, Texas and the Southeast, and to some degree, Florida. And you're seeing less and less new construction, uh, you know, kind of in California and, and in the Northeast, where it was the primary focus, you know, 40 years ago. I wonder is that I wonder if that is mostly tax related or or land cost related or, or what what oh, it yes is. And yes. Yes and yes. I think, yes, and I yes. Think, yeah, I think it's a couple of things. I think it's affordability. I think it's you know frankly the weather, right? Um, yeah. Warm. I think there's a tremendous amount of job growth right in the south, and and um, I think it's it's continuing to grow. I think a lot of investors are seeing the opportunity particularly the build to rent where there's a little bit more space, right? To get those plots of land where you can build a 200 to 150 community, a house community 
um, in the South versus kind of the dense populated regions of California in the Northeast. Um, and so I, I think it's a combination of both, right? Well, we also talked about yesterday with the uh, builder we had a meeting with. He, he lives in Atlanta. And uh, one of the things we talked about was the population growth of Atlanta since he's lived there. And uh, if I remember his numbers correctly, it was one and a half million. It was one and a half million. There just now it's, you know, in excess of six. Yeah, that's ridiculous. So, yeah. Well, he, he, was, he was relating that to, to, to the market that we're in in Birmingham. Uh, and we have other markets, but he was relating that to the market that he was currently sitting in the restaurant inside of. Um, and he was saying, yeah, because the, the size of the Birmingham Metro is, is a little over a million. But that's that's going to include, you know, the city center of the city, Birmingham, and then Hoover and kind of, I think Wikipedia calls it like 12 surrounding counties, which I don't really claim it as that. I call it three or four, seven. maybe. It's like seven, really, yeah. And, and just, just the growth of the population in Birmingham. Because, like you were talking about, the, the, there's a lot more industries that are coming down here. There, there's there's a lot more jobs that are that are growing in in the southeast. And Alabama has kind of like what I was saying: it's low tax rates. So that and then available land. You can't. It's it's Atlanta has six million people now. There's not a lot of additional space to buy over there. I mean, you can look in Florida, and there's there's some land in Florida for sure. There's land in Mississippi. There's land in Alabama. There, there, there's places to to buy. Um, I particularly are, am really impressed with some of the stuff that, that our state Alabama is doing right now. I mean, you've got the, the city center of Birmingham. Birmingham itself is the largest city in, in, in Alabama. But it, it's the metro, like I was saying, it's, it's expanded out so much to where when you're in Birmingham, you're in suburbs from, you know, 40 miles outside of Birmingham. You're, you're still in Birmingham. And there's not a lot of new stuff to to buy right now with, with the directions from the city center of Birmingham, there's 30 to 40 miles in any direction that there's just currently not a lot of new construction. You have to go out pretty, a pretty good clip, you know, almost an hour outside of the city center to get to these new construction uh, homes. Um, so, I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, it's really interesting to look at what, how these metros are growing and how these people are wanting to be in the, the, the Birmingham Metro or just, the Southeast as a whole. I mean, I'm just saying Birmingham because that's where we are. It's some of the markets that I, I dive into on a daily basis. So it's really interesting to see that growth. I did a analysis, a 20 year analysis on a particular city in Birmingham last week and this week, and probably when I get done with this podcast, <laughs> I'll continue doing stuff about it. But it's the, the growth increased like, uh, I want to say it was like 28% over over that period of time, like the average was some outrageous number that it was going per year. I don't think it was 28% per year, but it was some obscene number. It went from like 3,000, uh, the population was like 3,000 in the year 2000, which Ralph is from that city. And he was like, yes, it was 2,000 in the 70s. So it didn't grow much. And then currently it's at, it's at close to 17,000, 16, 17,000 in the population. And, it, and that's just in from the year 2000 to now, it's grown so, so much that it's, it's just skyrocketing. And now they're, they're, they're running out of houses. They're, run, they're running out of places to live in that area. They either have to go further or we have to build more stuff there. Um, it's just, it's, it's some interesting stuff in the Birmingham market and, and the Southeast as a whole. Yeah, and, and to touch a little bit more on that. So I had the, our um, search engine optimization team just pull kind of Southeast 
search volume. So basically what that means is, you know, what, how many people are typing in apartments to rent in Birmingham, apartment, uh, houses to rent in Charlotte, for example, just a whole bunch of geographies in the southeast. Because I was curious to know in, in a month, like how many people are actually looking in different types of geography. And so I only, the team was only able to pull one month. But it, it's pretty surprising because out of all the southeast cities, Charlotte, actually, Charlotte, North Carolina had one of the top um, volumed search in queries. So a lot of folks are searching for apartments to rent in Charlotte or houses to rent in Charlotte in Google, for example. And, you know, there, that shows intent that there's a lot of demand. Um, but for Birmingham, you know, when, when I looked at Birmingham, which is relatively a smaller city compared to Charlotte, um, it, it's interesting. So you get about 45,000 um, um, search queries a month for the, search, uh, for the term Birmingham when they're looking for homes. And that's actually, just to put in perspective, that's more than Savannah. That's more than um, Athens, Georgia, more than Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, Tennessee is at 40,000. Um, wow. And to put you in comparison to the top dog, Charlotte's about 108,000. And this is just terms like, That's not. yeah, it, 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 it's, it's interesting. Um, Atlanta um, is obviously top three because it's just a booming city with a lot of inventory. Um, but even then, they, they get about 70,000 searches wow. um, across four different terms uh, a month. So um, just some interesting data points. That's very interesting. It is. Uh, does that does that does forty five thousand searches? How many people does that, that doesn't mean forty five thousand people? That, what does that actually equate to it's, in the market? It's the volume. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. It's, it, I don't know the actual visits to visitor or like search sure. volume to vi- sure. uh, for individual, but what what that number represents is the number of times someone entered into Google, for example, houses for rent in Birmingham, Alabama, okay. or homes for rent in Birmingham, Alabama, or apartments for rent in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, that doesn't necessarily represent the people, but you know, you can take a wild guess how many times sure. someone would search that. Sure. Let, let's assume three to one, right? So like three searches if you're actively looking, but also that doesn't account for houses for rent near me, which a lot yeah. of folks are actually typing into their phones and Google because Google has smart enough to know where they are. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's a good barometer directionally to say like, hey, is one city getting more attention and more interest than others? Yeah, that's, is there, I'm curious, is there a way to track where those near me's come from? Is that even possible to track? Like if someone's hitting yeah. the near me, or is that yeah. like so uh, narrow focused that it's hard to really even evaluate those numbers? I mean, I'm, I'm not upset about forty five thousand. That's that's an interesting number for me to be, you know, digesting and thinking about what that actually means. But uh, you know, I'm just yeah, curious I think it, to... it's it's easy. So what it's easy and it depends on the tool they use and how much you know information Google shares with us and how much they keep sure. to the chest. Um, you know, some of it is based on their IP address. So like, for example, if they don't have, it's easier on mobile, by the way, because you have location services turned on, right? So Google will access your geolocation and they'll be able to tell where you are. Now, whether they pass that information along to companies like RentPath 
where we are like in the business to understand and appreciate, you know, the user's intent. Sometimes that's passed along and sometimes it's not. Now, more, more often than not, if Google's saying, hey, you know, Brian's in Birmingham because he's searching on his phone and if he types in apartments near me and I give him results that are only Birmingham, likely then obviously RentPath will know that this individual is looking for houses in Birmingham because that's what Google's serving to the yeah, user. Yeah. Um, but we wouldn't know how many, like, you know, if someone says houses near me in, this, in the search term, uh, we don't know where the actual the, the individual is based yeah. on just that term. We need to look at the results that Google provided based on the term to, to really understand the geolocation of that individual. Okay. So as we uh, near wrap up, Oh yeah, we've we should, gone. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, we could. I could literally sit here and try and dive down narrow paths. Well, let's talk about this thing. Let's look at the zip codes. Let's go down to this. I mean, I no, could we, do this all day. Like this is this is my <laughs> favorite thing in the entire world. This market information. That's, no, I mean, me and you both. Yeah, I, yeah, it's useful for everybody. No matter uh, if you're your your profession, our profession, the investor. Oh, it's my favorite. Uh, yeah, it's there's a lot of lot of information to digest there. So, so we usually go into a, uh, as we near wrap up. It's like final final thoughts uh, going into it. I'm going to start. I'm going to flip the script today, and I'm going to ask Jonathan if you'll um, just give us your final thoughts as we come in to wrap up. It, it my final thoughts are I, I see that the the rental market is not only growing at a steady pace that we think of as, you know, yeah, okay, we, everybody's doing whatever, and it's just kind of slowly going to grow with the population and the time. It seems that it's not, it's not a steady, same as it always has been. It seems like the rental market is, is opening up and, and is starting to, to get a more steep incline of, of desirability and marketability and, and the, just the desire to, to rent a home and, and own a rental home sometimes, right. in some cases. It just seems it's becoming more and more the norm. And it's just, it's just exciting me for, for the, the opportunities for everybody in this space of, of what this industry is going to look like five years in the future. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. I, I would, uh, and I'll, I'll actually, uh, I think I'll go next and I'll let you finish up Michonne. But sure. um, I, I think, you know, back 07 and 08, just watching what happened uh, within the housing market, but even what happened within, you know, the stock market, because I can remember, an older gentleman that used to work with the seer coming to me and telling me what he had lost in the stock market and the fact that based on his age, he didn't know if he would ever recover. Now, fast forward, I don't know if he could have foreseen what was happening with the stock market, but uh, it's kind of kind of going nuts. But just I think what it did is open people's eyes to be aware of other forms of investment that makes sense and then get a return on which is, I think, where you know a lot of the money, the institutional guys started focusing on SFR space. Uh, but I think it's allowing the individual to realize, hey, I need to diversify my investment portfolio. And part of that diversification is coming to, to home ownership in the form of a buy and hold strategy for rentals. Um, and then you get into the classifications we've talked about in the past where you know, some mix of that, you have some equity gain plus monthly cash flow. Some of it's strictly monthly cash flow. You're not really going to see much of an equity gain. Uh, and then some of it's the exact opposite. You have less cash flow in the A class with more equity gain on the resale uh, somewhere down the road. So 
So there are all different kinds of formulas and, and equations you can look at. But, you know, I think that uh, what excites me the most is watching what's taking place within the industry. Uh, and to your point, Jonathan, watching the evolution of the yeah. industry, because we're, we're seeing things that we've not seen in, in the past. The technology uh, piece blows my mind. It is. And it's, you know, it just follows where the money is mm-hmm. and just the, the piece of it. And one of the things that we were excited, I made the, we made the decision earlier today to add an AI piece to our operation. And uh, didn't even get to talk. About yeah, it. I didn't even get to talk about it much, but uh, we'll be adding an AI piece to both the lease line side and the maintenance side uh, within our operation across our, our platform. So we're pretty excited about that. And it's really, that's something I started picking up on through our corporate housing business a couple of years ago that became the hot topic. And now it's kind of industry standard in that space as well. And uh, just seeing that evolution and, and just the money being dumped into different aspects of it. And that's that's what's exciting, because every time you go to an event, it, it feels like you're you're learning of a new service or a new provider out there just making the industry that much better. Mm-hmm. And back to what we talked about earlier on, it just, you know, it, it for the people that are looking to lease and it's become a lot more sophisticated than it used to be of, you know, sign this lease, drop your rent payment. And if you got a maintenance issue, give me a phone call. Um, So it's so much more than that. And there's such such more a customer service related aspect to it uh, that professional property managers get a chance to focus on and highlight. So, so that's, that's kind of my takeaway. It's, it's exciting. I, I I appreciate, uh, and I know I speak for Jonathan in this as well. I appreciate all the information, your time, everything you bring to the table. Uh, because it's stuff like this allows us to do our job even better uh, to speak to investors, come back with useful information for them and to share episodes like this uh, with our audience, because I think they're all going to benefit from it. But so I'm I'm done. I'm getting off my soapbox and I'm going to step down. I'm going to let Deshaun (laughs) take his, take his minutes uh, to just give us. Yeah, no worries. Well, I I agree 110% with both what you and Jonathan mentioned. And, you know, I, I like to sum it up as, you know, at the macro level, if you think about this business, you know, 40 years ago or even 30 years ago, it was it was arguably still kind of um, uh, an infant type business where people didn't really think about owning and operating or even owning and having others operate a single family rental home, right? And they just thought of it as passive income, and and it, you know, as we fast forward um, to today. I think of it as a mature investment class um, that is is a business, right? And no different than any other business that you would operate in. And and it's probably a common. And why is that? It's a, probably a combination of a shift in demand, whereby more and more people are eager to and live uh, live longer in a rental home. I think it's a it's a another reason is that there's a lot more capital and a lot more institutional investors who are pouring more and more in, uh, information and investment into this business, which is driving more innovation. And I think now, particularly um, this past year and a half, where folks are realizing that the demand slide is not slowing down, and so they're being more innovated on the supply side. And I think the build for rent communities are now a a good piece of evidence of this class being more mature and and 
supply finally meeting demand. And so it's a combination of all these kind of, per, I like to call it a, a positive perfect storm where you have more money in the, in the industry, you have continued demand, and now you're seeing continued growth in supply. And, and people, are, people are soon realizing that there is a lot of return to be made in this, in, this, um, in this asset class. So that's kind of how I think about it. I don't think it's slowing. <laughs> I think it's still pretty, um, still pretty early. Uh, we are not in the, we are very early innings of, of this maturity cycle. And uh, I'm very excited to con- con- continue to monitor it. Yeah, me too, man. Uh, that's good stuff, man. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. <laughs> that's a really, really good uh, information for everybody. So, Well, Sean, we want to thank you so much for being on today. I mean, th- this is a longer episode than normal. So everyone listening, <laughs> hey, you got a bonus. It's, you just got a bonus long episode. Congratulations, everyone. Enjoy. I mean, like, Nishan, I, I thank you so much. This is this was great. Sure. No, thank you. Um, I, I, I could, I know Brian knows that I could sit here and, run this episode for another two or three oh, hours. I know. I know. We, if well, I was we, allowed to. We have to, you know, we have to have them back for a follow-up in the future and, and uh, be happy to do that. Just And we'll just have a chance to kind of dive back into some of this stuff and just realize how how all of it's changed between now and the next however many months. Absolutely. Until the next episode. So, um, but Deshaun, what I would like to uh, also do is give you an opportunity of, you know, if we have an investor out there that's, self-managing that wants to get uh, hooked up with you guys as far as promoting their properties through uh, rent for, for rent. Right. How, how's the best way for them to go about doing that? Yeah, I think it's um, it, the simple and easiest answer is, you know, you can go to rentals.com and, you know, we have our contact us um, page or you can even type in, uh, click list your property. And there's a couple email and phone numbers that you can call directly to our team here. And we, we answer everyone from, you know, the, the woes that have thousands of homes under their ownership and management all the way down to the mom and pops, right? We service a diverse group of folks and we have uh, products and offerings that cater to all the different scaled customers, right? Um, so a simple, easy way to do that is just to go to rentals.com and uh, navigate yourself to um, our contact us page or uh, list your property page and you can find all the right information on that on that page and as always if you have any questions for jonathan and myself uh, you can go to uh, podcast at ahnotproperties.com and we'll be happy to answer any emails that come in and uh, i guess until next time the important thing is is that our listeners keep investing buying property So just keep growing your portfolios. All right. Well, thank everyone so much. We will be back uh, next (laughs) week-ish. So long. Hey, everybody. It is Jonathan and Brian here. We want to tell you about one of our preferred partners, RoofSock. Everyone knows that real estate is a great way to build your personal wealth and diversify your investment portfolio, but we all know it can be complicated with Roofstock. You can invest in single family homes across the country with as little as 20,000 down. They've made the whole process transparent and easy to engage. View inspection reports, take a 3D tour, see neighborhood ratings, and when you find a property you like, add it to your cart. It's as easy as buying a pair of shoes online. So don't wait. Reach out to Roofstock today at Roofstock.com.
The songs Lobby Time, Retro Future Clean, and Rocket Power were created by Kevin McLeod of Incomputech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Visit creativecommons.org licenses by 3.0 on the web.